Well, it's uh, certainly a pleasure and a privilege to be able to share with you this morning. Hopefully you can understand me. Uh, I have an accent and I'm planning on going Ben Shapiro on you, so um, let's just devote this time to Lord Father. We thank you, praise you, worship you, devote this and commit this time to you. In Jesus' name, amen. Well, this is the uh, final installment of the priority of the church in the life of a Christian. And this morning we're going to be talking about the priority of discipleship, so I'm very grateful for the opportunity to be able to share that with you. Here's a picture for you. There you go. Picture for you. A stagnant pond with a question. I'm an engineer, so I like to think about stuff like that. When does, when does water stagnate? How, how does that happen? How does water become stagnant? You know, smelly, dead, like the, like the pond on the screen. You know, it's when it's still, right? Water becomes stagnant when it's still. But that doesn't explain how water becomes stagnant. It just explains when it becomes stagnant. So if you've done any kind of scientific study, you know there's a biological cycle that breaks down organic matter in water, and that has to take place. And when water's still, that doesn't happen. Uh, the organic material takes over. It becomes stagnant. So as an overarching kind of idea, an overarching concept, what I'd like to suggest to you is this. Discipleship and leadership development keeps us fresh and vibrant as a local church. And I've included leadership development in there because, in my opinion, if we disciple correctly, it will naturally go there for those who are called to be leaders, to, to leadership, and it should go there. What I'd like to do this morning, um, since we're considering the priority of the church in the life of a Christian as it relates to discipleship, is first of all consider the church and then answer the question, well, why? Why is the church a priority in the life of a Christian? As believers in Christ, we're called to be disciples, and so let's make sure we're taking that seriously. And what I'd like to do is consider discipleship from three perspectives, personally, then focused on others within the church, and then finally focused on those outside of the church. Okay? So that's what I'd like to do. I'd like to start with the church, though. So I have a picture for you. It's a goose. And we have a bunch of geese. You weren't expecting that, were you? When you have a bunch of geese, that's a flock of geese. Right? So the geese are a flock and the flock is of geese. The cow, same again, cows are the herd, and the herd is of cows. Is a tuna fish. The fish are a school, the school is of fish. And maybe you're wondering, why on earth am I talking about geese, fish, and cows? Well, there you go. I'm a Christian. How about you? Well, we're Christians. Christians are the church. The church is of Christians. Right? But is the question, is that it? Is that it? I'd like to consider that question for a moment. 
Is that it? Because if that is it, then that raises another question. Why is the church a priority? Why is the church a priority? And I'm not digressing, because this is of utmost importance. If we're going to really understand why discipleship makes the church a priority in the life of a Christian, we, we need to understand the church, right? We need to understand the Christian. So let's go back to basics. What's a Christian? Well, a Christian is not like a goose. We know that much, right? You can identify a goose by the way, it's, by the way it looks and the way they fly in the... V, right? And they honk. And I, I do not hunt. I don't know how to you stick those things in your mouth and make those noises. So I'm not going to do a goose noise. Um, the noise it makes. You can tell a goose. But you can't identify a Christian in the same way. You can't tell someone is a Christian by the way they look. Can't see it. You don't feel it. Right? But some of the things that make you a Christian... You're born again, indwelled, you're forgiven, you're justified, you're positionally sanctified, you're adopted, you're given everlasting life, baptized by the Holy Spirit into union with Christ. But the only thing I was active in that makes me a Christian is the fact that I trust in Jesus Christ for salvation. The rest of it, God did that. So I ain't got feathers and I don't honk. So you can't tell I'm a Christian or a goose. But what I'd like to, us to focus our attention on for a moment is our union with Christ, our union with Christ. And strangely, this is one of the most neglected biblical doctrines of all, and it is perhaps a doctrine that has the greatest significance to us as Christians, as believers in Christ. Without an understanding of our union with Christ, we will fail to grasp the supernatural nature of the Christian life. We'll struggle with failure. We'll struggle with guilt. We'll struggle with frustration. And if you look for it in the New Testament, our union with Christ is everywhere in the New Testament. It's spelt slightly different in the New Testament. It's spelt I-N, in, right? In. We are in Christ. When we put our trust in Jesus Christ for salvation, we enter into union with him, and so now we are in Christ. There's plenty of places. I'm not going to go through them. If you read Ephesians 1, you can't help but notice it. So, so much in there. I'll read a couple of verses from there. I think it's on the screen now. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us with every spiritual blessing in heavenly places in Christ, just as he chose us in him, before the foundation of the world, that we should be holy and without blame before him in love. Lots more examples in Ephesians 1. If you read your New Testament, you're going to notice it, hopefully. If you hadn't before, hopefully now. Well, what about the church? The church is described in different ways in the New Testament in order to illustrate different aspects of the church. The church is a family brethren that's the most common figure and if you go in your theology book it's probably the one they miss the church is the body of Christ submitting to his will functioning like a body with many parts powered by God owned by Christ directed by the Holy Spirit characterized by and clothed with love 
held together, growing by holding fast to Christ, growing to become more like Christ. The church is a grapevine. All the branches are connected to the true vine, Jesus Christ. The church is a kingdom of priests. Jesus is the high priest who's entered the holy of holies, but he's also the once for all sacrifice for sin. We as priests offer ourselves up as living sacrifices. We are built up a spiritual house, a holy priesthood to offer up spiritual sacrifices acceptable to God through Jesus Christ. The church is a flock of sheep. We belong to Christ, the great shepherd. He calls us out. He's the gate. He's the door to the fold. We're secure in him. Under shepherds, pastors are given to equip us, elders to shepherd and guard the flock. The church is a temple of God built on the foundation of the apostles, prophets, and Christ. The building rises to become a holy temple, a dwelling of God. The church is a bride, the wife of Christ. We've died through Christ to sin, and now we're married to Christ. He's the head. Our union is with him. Went super fast through all that stuff, but hopefully you get the idea. Church, big deal, right? That's where I want to pause for a moment, though, the union. Our union with Christ It's like a supernatural mechanism for all of this. The glue. When we put our trust in Jesus Christ for salvation, we enter into union with him. Did you realize that? And so now we are in Christ. So why is the church a priority in the life of the Christian? Well, we must understand what the church is. We Christians, we're the church, and the church is us, but it's more than that. It's more than like a flock of geese or a herd of cows or a school of fish. What connects us to each other, I want you to get this, what connects us to each other is more than having something in common. Yes, we've got something in common, but what connects us to each other is more than that. We may not be able to fully explain it. We don't feel it but it's real. Think about your family. Think about a mother and a child. That connection is real, right? Can you explain it? Can you concretely explain why you put up with all that from your family? How could you explain that connection between a mother and a child? You can't explain it. Is it real? It is real. We have a connection that's real. Even if we can't explain it. Even if we can't feel it, it's real. And you see how all the figures of the church point to that connection in some way. Trying to get it across to us. We're a bit thick-headed, aren't we? How many figures could he come up with? Any more? Our union with Christ is a supernatural mechanism. Not super glue, supernatural glue. Joining us to Christ, sticking us to him. It's so strong, it's better than the world. We are literally in Christ. What makes the church a priority in the life of a Christian? Jesus Christ. Amen? Amen. Jesus makes the church a priority in our lives because our union with him connects us to each other. We are brethren. We are a body. We're on the same vine. We're a kingdom of priests. We're a flock of sheep. We're a temple or a building. We're married to him. And the local church, that's what we are, Blue Ridge Bible Church. We're a local church. The local church is an expression of the one church of Jesus Christ. That's what the local church is. It's not separate. 
You know, some people say, we've got, the, we've got the universal church and the local church. Don't do that. Don't go there. You've got one church. We're an expression of it. So I'm in Christ. If you trust in Jesus Christ for salvation, you are in Christ too. We are supernaturally connected by Christ. Best two letters for us, I-N, in. Best preposition, in, right? We are in Christ. Having put your trust in Christ for salvation and all that God has done behind the scenes, right? You mindful of that? We're like a good set of teeth. A lot has gone on behind the scenes, right? No one has teeth that beautiful. All that's gone behind the scenes, you know, they're born again, forgiven, indwelled. Our union with him, we're in him. With all that, we each have this call on our lives, a disciple calling, a calling to become, to be, to grow as Christ's disciples, a calling to build up and serve his body, a calling to make disciples. So I want to pause on that for a moment. I want you to think about that. I want us to think about that. But as I do that, let's multitask. I want you to look at this picture and tell me if you think there's something wrong with it. And I'm going to flash verses up on top of it. You ready? So first one's Matthew 4. I don't know whether you can see that. It might be too small. Matthew 4, 19. Follow me, Jesus said to Peter and Andrew, and I will make you fishes of men. Next, Matthew 10. After Jesus said, uh, you know, I didn't come to bring peace on earth. I came to bring division. That those who are closest together would be at odds with each other because of Jesus. He says this, he who loves father and mother more than me is not worthy of me. Excuse me. And he who loves son or daughter more than me is not worthy of me. And he who does not take up his cross and follow after me is not worthy of me. He who finds his life will lose it. And he who loses life for my sake will find it. He who receives you receives me, and he who receives me receives him who sent me. And then similar to that, we've got Matthew 16. After telling his disciples that, you know, they're headed to Jerusalem, but when they go there, he's going to suffer at the hands of the religious leaders, and they're going to kill him, and they rise again from the dead. He says this, if anyone desires to come after me, let him deny himself and take up his cross and follow me. For whoever desires to save his life will lose it, but whoever loses life for my sake will find it. And then finally, jump into the epistles. And if we have any doubt about the direction of discipleship, it's clear here. Paul says this to the Thessalonians, you became followers of us and of the Lord, having received the word in much affliction, with joy of the Holy Spirit, so that you became examples to all in Macedonia and Alcaia who believe. So back to that question, what might be wrong with this picture. The picture is supposed to illustrate multiplication. That's good. We make disciples who make disciples, and so it multiplies exponential, right? But what might be wrong? What about the arrows? Are they pointing the right direction? The disciple call, right? It's not like being a CEO or a manager, barking orders. You go there, you go there. You do this, and you do that. No. The disciple call is for you, for you and me, to be trusting in Jesus Christ for ourselves. I trust Jesus, you trust Jesus. 
The disciple call is for you and me to be growing up into Jesus Christ ourselves. It means me being transformed by the renewing of my mind, receiving the word of God implanted in my heart, allowing it to take root, growing so I see Christ being formed in me and you the same. The disciple call is for you and me to be equipped to serve and build up the body of Christ. And what? Do it. And then the rubber meets the road because the disciple call is for me and for you to be able to say this. Most scary, how many? One, two, three, four, six words. You ready for this? Follow me as I follow Christ. Can you say that? That's the disciple call. To be able to say to someone, follow me as I follow Christ. What's that mean? You've got to do all these other things. Be transformed, be progressing in sanctification. It all goes together. Do you see why the church being a priority in the life of a Christian when it comes to discipleship? Do you see this disciple call? Do you see why it's so important? Do you see why it's so incredibly important, right? Do you get it? You, me, we have this incredible calling on our, on our lives. It's overwhelming. I want to please Jesus. I want to serve him. I, I assume it's the same for you, right? Amen, I like amens. I want to take this disciple call seriously. But here's the thing. I'm not on my own. You're not on your own. I don't have to take this on by myself and neither do you. When Jesus commissioned his disciples, he ended what he said with this, and lo, I am with you always, even to the end of the age. Amen. And we read that and we think, hallelujah, praise the Lord, Jesus is with me. But now, why have I been talking about our union with Christ? Well, I'm going to tell you. We are baptized by the Holy Spirit into union with Christ. I am in him. You are in him. We are his church. If we are his church in him, then part of him being with us is surely our being with each other. Did you get that? So say it again. Because of the English accent, right? If we are his church in him, then part of him being with us is our being with each other. Yeah, English people like long sentences. So what about discipleship? This disciple calling we have. I want to look at it from three, three perspectives, three vantage points, three focuses. Personally, first, personally, that's our becoming and being a disciple, our being discipled. Second, focus on others in the church, discipling others. Third, finally, our focus on those outside the church. That's our mission, making disciples. Now, what I'm going to do, I'm going to put loads more information on the screen than I can possibly go through because I'm just a bit eager, sorry. So what you're going to have to do is go to the website and watch it. If you actually want to see what's on the screen, I'm going to flick through it too quickly for you to read it. So you need to go on the website and watch it and pause on the, on the slide. Yeah, I did, I did that for yours. I benefited a lot from it. And yours.
So we can break it down. Uh, the first discipleship focus into three. Um, and it comes to the first one. You can't even read that, can you? Can you read that? You've got good eyes if you can read that. The first one um, responded to the gospel. We need to realize that the gospel is something that either needs to be believed or not. There's no middle ground. We also need to remember what is expected of ourselves in response to the gospel, and therefore when we preach the gospel, what we should expect of others. Now be careful here, okay? This is what we expect. Now I'm not saying that if you try to boil it down to the minimum requirements of salvation, right, which people tend to do, that this is the list. This is not the list for that. I'm not giving you the list for that. That's called fire insurance or something like that, right? Let's not go there. So, yeah, that's not what I'm saying. I'm saying this is what is expected. The second part of our personal focus is, you know, when it comes to discipleship, is growing up into Christ. Do we think about that with discipleship? Growing up into Christ. How can I say to someone, follow me as I follow Christ, if I'm not following Christ? Ephesians 4, 11 to 16. A little more detail there. By the way, if you need to put the camera off my ugly mug onto the screen. Um, the third part of our um, personal focus is when it, when it comes to discipleship is being equipped for service and to edify. That's to build up the body of Christ. Um, and then when we go to the next point, you know, focusing on the church, serving others in the church. We need to make sure that everything we do is built on the sure foundation of God's word. We need to remember we are earthen vessels. We're like clay pots. That God uses us is because he's kind. He doesn't need us. We need to depend on his grace, on his love. Also remember, we've been gifted to serve, to build up the church, spiritual gifts. The final focus on those, on those outside the church. And that's our mission. Christ has given us this mission. It's to preach the gospel, to make disciples, to testify to the truth, and to represent Christ. I don't think I have time to go through these. So I'm going to whiz, whiz through them on so they sure. So you've got, to look, you've got to go on the website now. Yeah, Brittany's made up, right? People are actually going to go on the website. So flick through these because I want to get to this next bit. I'm actually going to conclude now. Uh, so, so if you want the full message, go online. Um, in conclusion, so just like a body of water, the local church needs a functioning discipleship ecosystem, right? We need a functioning discipleship ecosystem. A, a pond as an ecosystem. If it doesn't work, it breaks down. It goes stagnant. We need that. Discipleship is essential to stay fresh and vibrant. We've got to take it seriously. Each one of us has got to take it seriously, this disciple call. We have this high calling on our lives, uh, the disciple calling to follow Christ. And as followers of Christ, we're called to grow in our relationship with him, to build up and serve his body, the church, to reach out with the gospel, but not just with the gospel, with ourselves, right? We present ourselves as a living sacrifice to the Lord. 
And so this disciple calling we have following Christ that me and that you and I, what we say is follow me as I follow Christ. That's what we want to be able to say. I want to point out we've got five more Sundays now until Easter. I don't like to call it Easter, Resurrection Sunday. Um, we've been working through Matthew on Sundays. We're up to chapter 26 now. If you flip in your Bible there, you don't need to right now. I'm just going to tell you. Chapters 26 to 28, what's that about? The trial, death, and resurrection of Jesus Christ, our Lord. So if you wanted to bring someone who needs to hear the gospel, well, bring them, right? Next five weeks, all six weeks, bring them to, right? Don't know if you need to bring them to one. Time am I on? Oh, doing good. That means I'm gonna I'm gonna go Baptist on you. You ready for this? <laughs> Got five minutes. <sighs> if you're here today, don't worry. I'm not gonna ask you to raise your hand. <laughs> if you're here today and you have not trusted in Jesus Christ for salvation, perhaps you feel like a duck flying with the geese, or a deer in a field of cows. Some things I want to say to you. If you're here, I'm I'm not talking to anyone else right now. I'm talking to you. If you're here and you've not yet trusted in Jesus Christ for salvation, you are not a fraud. We want you here. We're pleased you're here. God is real. He loves you more than you can comprehend. I'm sure you're aware of sin in your life, things that you do wrong, maybe stuff you say, the stuff in your mind that you don't say that goes through your mind. Your sin is a problem. It's what separates you from God. Maybe it disgusts you. Maybe you're ashamed of it. Well, if it does, hallelujah, it should. It's a problem. That's why you're here. You're not here by chance. You're here for a reason. And there's a solution to the problem that you have with sin. This problem not only separates you from God, meaning you will, be, you will die. If you die, you'll be condemned to hell. If, if you walk out of here and some crazy old lady runs you over, you're going to hell. You don't want that. That's not the only problem. The other problem you have with sin is that you're powerless to overcome it right now. Just in your life, I just mean in your day-to-day life, you can't get past it. No matter how hard you try, you fail. But there's a solution. There's a solution to the problem you have with sin for eternal condemnation and the here and now mean you're powerless to overcome it. And that solution is found in Jesus Christ. There has to be a payment for sin. Just like when you commit a crime, there's a penalty. Same with sin. And the penalty for sin is eternal condemnation. And we're all guilty before God. God is real. He's scary real. Scary real because he's your judge. He knows everything. You don't have a leg to stand on. You can't, um, I'm going to say blag him, but that will mean nothing to you. It means try and trick him. Um, The solution to the problem you have with sin, both eternal Condemnation and its power over you right now is found in Jesus Christ. God is Trinity. God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit. 
God the Son came 2,000 years ago in the flesh. His name is Jesus. Unlike any man, he lived without sin, and so he was not deserving of death. But he died, but he did not die by natural causes. He was crucified. He had the power to fold the universe in two just by thinking it. But nevertheless, he allowed men, weak as we are, to nail him to the cross, allowing him, the sinless one, to die as a payment for our sin. He paid the penalty that we owe for sin. If you, talking to you, if you've not trusted Jesus Christ for salvation yet, if you want the penalty for your sin to be paid by Jesus' death on the cross, all that God asks of you is that you accept it as a free gift and trust in him like the chair you're sitting on, right? Did you realize you trust that chair you're sitting on? You just sat on it, right? Trust in Jesus. The trust in the chair to hold you up, trust in Jesus. You're more reliable than that chair. And the payment for your sin will be applied to your account. You will have everlasting life. Why wouldn't you want that? God's real. When we trust in Jesus Christ, meaning our sins forgiven, God does not change at all. But something else changes. Our relationship with him changes. He's no longer a scary judge to us. He's our loving father. All powerful, all knowing, all seeing. He's the most powerful thing there is. Don't you want that? Amen. I like amens. Sorry, I'm trying to get my next page. Well, well, I want to talk to you. If, if I was talking to you right now, if you've not trusted Jesus Christ for salvation, I want to talk to you. I'm not going to judge you. I care. Please hear me. I care. I care deeply. I want to spend time with you. If you're interested, talk things through. If you feel a little awkward coming and talking to me now, um, we've got these things in the back of the chair. I took one. I'll put it back, Brittany, I promise. Oz, and I'm going to get trouble with Brittany probably for saying this, just put your email in there. Don't worry about any of that other stuff. And someone will follow up with you. But I want to talk to you. I, I might buy you a coffee. Someone will follow up with you if you put your email. And if you want me to reach out to you, say, Peter. And then I'll be overjoyed to talk to you. So I'd love to talk to you. I care. And it's not just, this is, amen. It's not just me who cares, we all do. Amen. Amen. Well, I'm I'm out of time. I only went a minute over. Amen. (laughs) All right, I'm going to finish. Heavenly Father, thank you so much for this time. And just thank you. So many things, Father. We praise you, we worship you, and we pray in Jesus' holy name. Amen.